This is a CNA podcast. Hello, you're listening to CNA Correspondent with me, Steve Lai. And in this episode, you'll hear everything you need to know about the upcoming Thai election. Thailand's parliament has been dissolved, paving the way for the country's upcoming elections Voters in, in Thailand May. have and some dates to mark on their calendars. The country's election commission announced they will go to the polls on May the 14th. Election fever is heating up in Thailand as campaigning for the general election has officially begun. We are doing our utmost, but it is also up to the people to use their right to vote. The Per Thai party is moving ahead and we will go all out in the days to come. What we have is the proof that we have done our work. It's our new candidates that have been on the ground all the time. So I'm sure that we better like, capitalize on the gains of this election in terms of change. Uh, so we are prepared for the change and we'll be able to make change happen in Thailand. Election buzz is definitely in the air. And joining me from Bangkok to break it all down for you is Saksith Sayasombat. Hey, Saksith. Hey, Steve. All right, let's get started with some quick facts there and I'll fire out the questions. You give me the answers. When is the election happening? On Sunday, May 14th. All right, and it's the second election since the coup in 2014. What's up for grabs? 500 seats in the lower house in the parliament, and there are more than 6,000 candidates running. Um, a coalition or a party that wants to govern, they need um, at least 251 seats of them, but it's not as easy as it sounds. We'll probably get to that a little bit later. Yes, we certainly will. How many voters are we talking about? 52 million eligible voters out of almost 70 million people that live here in Thailand. There are 77 provinces and about 4 million people are voting for the first time in their lives. So how many parties are there this time around? So on the party list, there are 67 parties in total. So that is definitely a lot to choose from. Now, we've got the nuts and bolts out of the way. Let's dive into the issues and the candidates uh, that are shaping this election. And I'd like to start with the incumbent, uh, Prayut Janosha. He's with a new party this time around. He is, but in in order to understand General Prayut Janosha, we need to understand that he was a former army chief. He came to power in 2014 with a military coup and that has toppled any democratic government. He was re-elected as prime minister in the last election, 2019, with one political vehicle, but due to infighting and factionalism in that party, they basically broke up. And that's why Prayut Janasha is now running under a new political party, under the so-called United Thai Nation Party. And what's also been very striking of Prayut himself is, you know, he's always portrayed himself as a stern and but also reluctant prime minister. He says that needed to do a military coup, otherwise things would have gone for the, to the dogs. But also that he was a reluctant politician. But now, during this campaign, we are now seeing this full transformation of him from a stern military chief to a almost folksy full-time politician. Whether or not people will buy that is a different matter. Yes. As much as he says he's reluctant, he does now seem rather reluctant to relinquish his position as a prime minister. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of his main rivals then. There's a familiar family name in the mix as well. Indeed, the main opposition party, the Pertai Party, is fielding another family member of the Shinawat dynasty, Patongtan Shinawat, 36 years old. That is the youngest daughter of former Prime Minister Thaksin, who was ruled in the early 2000s, but has lived in self-exile for over a decade now. She would be the third Shinawat to become Prime Minister after Thaksin, as I mentioned before, after Yingluck, which is Patungtan's aunt. And yeah, but she would also be the youngest Prime Minister with just 36 years old, and she just has given birth to a second child. 
What's also interesting about uh, the Purtai Party is that they're carrying on the legacy of Thaksin, who has been, classically speaking, very popular with the rural folks in the north and northeast. But Patentan herself, she has zero experience when it comes to politics whatsoever. And that's why it's fair to say that the party is more banking on the family legacy name here. And it, def it definitely seems to be working at those so far. And what about in the last election, the party leader for Future Forward Party, Tanaton Jongrung Runkit, he had quite a large profile going into the last election, but then post-election, he was subsequently sidelined. Is he around? What's he up to? He's around, but he's disqualified because the party, the Future Forward Party, which is a, for Thaisan, radically liberally progressive um, political party that has um, gained a lot of support among the young folks. The party has been dissolved in, uh, three years ago under some very dubious charges. But nevertheless, there has been a successor party called the Move Forward Party. Tanaton is not the leader anymore. There's somebody else, somebody called Peter Limcharunat, also a very young man, Ivy League, Ivy League educated, former Grab executive here in Thailand. And he's carrying the torch. He's continuing to carry the torch um, for liberal progressive policies and also for a change in Thai politics. And it still draws in a very young crowd. Okay, so Prime Janosha faces sort of two young challenges, if you like. Are there any other contenders that we should know about? Well, I mean, I said before that Prayut broke off from his former party, so his deputy prime minister, Prawit Wongsuwan, who is basically a brother-in-arms to Prayut. I mean, there, there was the agreement between these two that Prayut would be the prime minister and do all the government business, while Prawit, who has also been part of the coup at that time, would oversee the political party. But as I said before, the factionalism between two camps had led to this breakup. Now Prawit Wong Sowan, a 76-year-old man who doesn't look like he's the fittest man, if I'm being very honest. But he's also now leading the party and also tries to portray himself as somebody who is going to overcome and bridge all the divisions of the political polarizations that we have in the past 20 years, even though he has part of the military faction that has launched this coup and some might say also created all these political problems in the first place. Again, another rebranding where it remains to be seen if voters are buying that. Yeah, and one way that in some countries we'd have an understanding of where all these candidates are is through polling. You know, we follow US politics. We know who's in the lead or who's thought to be in the lead. They're not always accurate, of course. Does Thailand have that sort of thing? How do we know or how do we get a sense of the general thinking of who the main frontrunners are and how they're performing? We have opinion polling here in Thailand, but I personally have been always allergic to that, uh, to, to, to put it mildly, because methodologically they have been sometimes dubious, the sample size is sometimes too small, the questions have been sometimes very leading. So this is a reason why in my line of work, in my journalistic reporting, I always try to avoid to do opinion polling. I mean, of course, that what else do you have to get a glimpse and get a sense of that? I mean... There's definitely one phenomenon in this election cycle that I find very interesting with opinion polls. It's not so much what goes into the opinion polls, so as in what people are saying to these opinion polls, but the effect that opinion polls are creating once they're being published. And these opinion polls, if they are to be believed, uh, they are giving the opposition, Pertai and move forward a resounding lead at the moment. And all the established coalition parties, the ruling parties, they are not looking very well right now. And this is creating a hype in the media cycle right now. And I'm among the parties themselves, and so much so that it is almost becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy right now. Of course, too early to say at this point, but there's definitely a hype and a momentum that's building partially because of these opinion polls. And I suppose some way to see it is with your own eyes. 
anecdotally though it may be when you're out and about attending these rallies, uh, getting a sense on the ground of how excited people are for their respective candidates. Give us a picture of what campaign season in Thailand looks like, Saxith. There are two very distinct types of campaigning here in Thailand. There's the canvassing, that is basically when the candidates, being the constitutional candidates or the top party big bosses, are walking about in communities like markets and something like that and are meeting voters, shaking hands, kissing babies, you know, the usual, uh, handing out leaflets and trying to basically make themselves known to the electorate. Uh, yeah, show their presence. Yes, show their presence, uh, saying that this is the guy who you're supposed to vote for and I do this and that. And maybe, you know, a chit and chat here and there. And that is exactly what I meant before, right? with um, Prime Minister Prayut Janusha trying to uh, portray himself as a folksy, approachable politician, as in the unapproachable military general that he used to be. And also tell us about the rallies. The rallies are, you know, the big events, of course. There are sometimes thousands, if not even ten thousands of people being bused to these uh, events around the country where you have a big stage, you have a lot of supporters there. And again, th- this is also where you have the big speeches by all the candidates and all the big um, big parties as well. And this is where they, for example, make very broad promises to like this is these are the campaigns that we that we are running on this is the platform that we are running on if you vote for us we're going to do this and that so this is also another way to rile up support for for the voter base and it's very fascinating when you go especially outside of Bangkok into the rural folks here that you know that how they are trying to uh, customize themselves to the local sensitivities either and they are trying to talk in a dialect of that region for example or uh, to speak to topics that are more closer to that electorate. Rural folks for example they want to talk about agriculture, they want to talk about economic hardships rather than the urban votes here in Bangkok that want to talk more about anti-corruption campaigns or more ideological platforms. And we're coming out of the pandemic. Life is sort of returning to normal. The last election in 2019 was pre-pandemic. So what's on voters' minds now? It must be about what's going to be coming forward for Thailand and for their people. And, and how are the different candidates campaigning on these different issues? As you said, it is an election campaign that is still in the shadow of the pandemic and the economic fallout of it. We all know that Thailand is one of the countries that has have come out of the pandemic with a bit of an economic slump. And it, it's not as good as it uh, as it be, especially when it comes to economic growth. And that is where the political parties are trying to tap in right now. And they are trying to promise all kinds of different uh, cash handouts or um, debt relief as well. And that is maybe something that is noteworthy that all political parties, no matter on which side they were, they are trying to overbid themselves with populist cash handouts. It's almost a matter of how many zeros are attached to them. And that is something that is very interesting because all the parties that have been part of the past ruling coalition, a dozen of them, but mainly the main parties like a handful of them, it's kind of hard to distinguish between these parties because they have been all part of the same government for the past four years. And they're also trying to claim credit for all the achievements that that government has done for the past four years. But now they are saying like, no, no, actually it was us who did that, not the other chumps. <laughs> yeah. We did all the good things and they did all the bad things. Is that how they, is that their line? Exactly. It's like I get the, all the credit and everybody else gets the blame. <laughs> Wonderful. It's going to make it very tough for voters uh, to sift through all of that and to make sense of it. Uh, We're glad we have you with us, Saksith. Do stay with us, though. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about the influential forces outside of parliamentary rules that also hold a lot of sway in Thailand. Hi. 
Hi, my name is Julie Yu, and I'm the host of The Climate Conversations. Each week, I speak to guests who give us tips on how we can protect the Earth. Every once in a while, we also have interesting stories, like how Singapore's first Tesla owner prompted billionaire Elon Musk to reach out to Prime Minister Lee Sin Long, or a chef who makes the juiciest burgers from only plant-based ingredients. For more stories like these, look for the Climate Conversations on our CNA and Me Listen apps, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to CNA Correspondent as we preview the upcoming Thai election with Saxia Sayasombat, and we're still very much in the thick of a campaigning. But we've talked about that. So let's move on to the next topic, Saxith. The military has long been a feature in Thai politics. Prime Minister Prayut Janosha came to power as a result of the 2014 coup, as you mentioned earlier, which was, in fact, the 13th since the country's first coup way back in 1932. So what space or influence does the military occupy now? I might want to add this was the 13th successful military coup. There have been a couple more that have been unsuccessful as well. The rationale of the military coup in both 2014 and 2006 was that, you know, um, parliamentary politics and political parties didn't work. So that's why the military had to intervene. The thought behind the last coup was also that this was supposed to be the coup to end all coups because we all know that the military governments uh, stuck around for quite a couple of years and they had plenty of time to rewrite the rules. They brought in a new constitution, they uh, reduced the powers of elected officials and gave more powers to unelected officials, to so-called uh, governmental end agencies that, over, uh, that are supposed to keep parliament in check. And there is right now, from what we are hearing and from what we are seeing, very little appetite by the military themselves to intervene in politics because, you know, you have two military leaders in the political parties as well, with Prime Minister Prayut Chan-o-Sha and General Prawit Wong-Soo-Wan. But then on the other hand, they are not completely tone deaf. They definitely know uh, what's going on as well. And they also know that if they intervene in politics and remove a government that has been very popular for very thin reasons, of course, then you would have street protests on the, uh, again. But then it's a sad truth in Thailand that military coups can never be put out of the question. The risks can be high or very low, but never at zero that a military coup may or may not happen in Thailand. And this is also goes to show that the whole power structure in Thailand, there are forces outside of parliament that are outside of these typical democratic checks and balances and that the voters have no influence on. And especially when the military sees itself as a protector of the monarchy, of the very sacrosanct institution, then that's where things get even more complicated than that. But then also, on the other hand, one thing that I have definitely noticed is there's a certain sense of fatigue over Prime Minister Prayut Chan-o-Sham. He has been in power since 2014. It's over eight or almost nine years now at this point. He, his constitutional term limit will um, will run out in two years. So if he runs again, he will only stick around for half a term. It's He's almost running as a lame duck at this point. So there is some opinion amongst the voters that it's time for a change. It's time for somebody else to, to take the helm and see how they can steer this country forward. Saxit, the last big military coup was in 2014. What's been the fallout from that? The military coup brought in a new constitution and a new playbook, so to speak, under which Thai politics is being played under. And one of the legacies of the military coup is the upper house, the Senate. It is has 250 members, but they were all appointed by the previous military government. 
and that builds a conundrum for any party, for any government that wants to form a coalition in the parliament, because the vote for the prime minister is a joint assembly between both chambers. 500 elected MPs, 250 appointed senators, so that's 750 people. But if you assume that all these 250 senators vote on bloc, they vote the same, then you only need a third of all MPs in order to beat out everybody else. So that is why you might end up with a prime minister that the people didn't vote for. Last time around, this is how Prime Minister Prayut Chan-o-sea secured his victory and by building up a grand enough coalition, but also having 250 senators in his pocket. However, this time around, it's not quite as clear-cut because from what we know is that the senators themselves are pretty split about what they're going to do. Are they going to vote in Prayut again? Are they going to support somebody else? A lot of them are actually totally undecided because one thing is for sure. This is the last year, the last year of this term of the Senate, and also the very last time that the Senate will actually have a say in the Prime Minister's vote. Some of these senators we know are looking to the future, and that future might end up with the political parties. So that's why they are trying to, you know, make good with the political parties. And they are really considering themselves like who they're going to pick for. So this is why we're going to have a very divided Senate, a very split Senate, as much as the parliamentarians themselves are split on this. Oh, it does add to the intrigue, doesn't it, where everyone jostling for their potential futures. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction then, because it sounds incredibly complicated, but perhaps give our listeners some things to look out for in the coming days and during the election itself. What will you be looking to see? I want to look to see, well, first of all, I would not bet any money on any outcome whatsoever. Um, <laughs> that would be a bad deal. What I'm looking out for on election day is really how much the opposition, especially the Purtai party, how many seats are they going to get? They have been clamoring and have been basically shouting out, demanding a landslide victory. They have their, their target is a lofty 310 seats out of 500, so an absolute majority, so to speak. According to our analysis and according to our projections, that is, they are most likely going to miss that. So that's why they need coalition partners. They need to form partners with other political parties. And then the big horse trading starts, like who are they going to embed with? What concession each party is ready to make? What chunk of the pie are they willing to give? What ministry portfolios do they have to give to the smaller parties to keep them happy and to keep them on board? So these are the things that happen at every election. But this time around, there's also the question whether or not there's a strong enough coalition to lock out Prime Minister Prayut Shah. But then again, the question is, for example, also, will the liberal progressive move forward be part of this? Or are they going to be idealistic enough and say, no, we will not compromise on our ideals, so we'd rather stay in opposition than to go into a government and betray our ideals. So these are many different storylines that we have to look out for on election day. But to be very honest with you, the election and campaign itself is one thing, but more importantly, and that's one thing what I'm looking forward to, is all the coalition negotiations and the horse trading that will happen after that. And that can take weeks, and until we have a new government form, that can still take a couple of months. Sanxith, I'm so glad that we have you with us to talk us through these things and to help us make sense of it. I know you're going to be very busy in the lead up. And even as you say, it won't end after election day. There could be a lot more twists and turns uh, that we'll need to keep up to speed with. So where's the best place for our listeners then to follow you directly for updates and to keep on top of all things in, in Thailand? I know you're pretty active on Twitter. 
Yes, indeed. Twitter is definitely the best place to check for all the updates and also all the nerdy stuff that doesn't make on air. And what's your handle? My handle is SaksitCNA, S-A-K-S-I-T-H-C-N-A. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Um, always a pleasure to nerd about, about Thai politics. Never a dull moment. And we'll probably need it part two, I guess. We certainly will. Listening to Saxith, I can't help but think how complex Thai politics is. It's a democracy in a country with influential forces outside parliamentary rules that is willing to both seize and relinquish powers. In fact, this 2023 election will see a former military man try to hold on to democratic power and the daughter of a former prime minister that was toppled by the military try and take it back. I have no idea what will happen, but I do know that the team at CNA will be covering it every step of the way. The TV version CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30pm. You can also watch it whenever you like on cna.asia. Do like and subscribe to this podcast version that takes you behind the scenes with our correspondents. It's available wherever you get your audio content. Thank you for listening. Our podcast team is made up of Sai Wind, Crispina Robert, Clara Ong, and me, Steve Lai.